So these past three weeks, we've really been building up to today. And we've used this Advent season to help us prepare for Christmas by examining each of the candles of the Advent wreath. So three weeks ago, we started and we lit that first candle, which represents promise. And looking at how the prophets of God anticipated a birth of the Messiah through all of those promises that were given to them in Old Testament scripture. The second week, we lit the candle of hope. It was that hope that when that Messiah would come, that he would come quickly and would set the world right again. And then last week, we lit the third candle that represents joy, and we talked about Mary's song of praise, the one that she sang when she was still pregnant with the baby Jesus. And we talked about how God gives us a joy that is not based on circumstances because our truest joy, just like I was sharing with the kids, our truest joy comes from God's grace. Not because of our own efforts, not because of how we may feel on a given day, but simply because of his grace. And today, Carolyn and, and, and uh, Robbie graciously lit that final candle of the Advent wreath, the candle of love. And with it, we're going to examine how God's compassion for us has been the driving force behind the birth of Jesus and the ultimate gift of his love. In fact, these past weeks have been showing us over and over and over again just how much love God has for us. Not, not for any reason inside of ourselves, but in spite of ourselves. God loves us so much that he sent his own son, sent him to be born into the world to suffer in our stead because God is love. And that's the focus of our reading today. It's going to come to us from uh, the first epistle of John, 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. So hear now the words of the true and living God. The apostle John writes, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely surely ought to love one another. Amen? I think for myself, the Apostle John is my favorite author in the New Testament, and I really love how John explains the nature of God's love for us, not as an idea, but as a concrete reality, because for him it was very real. And even though John's gospel doesn't include a birth narrative of Jesus, he captures the essence of the love that brought Christ to the manger. Because you see, for John, knowing Jesus wasn't just spiritual, it was personal. Remember, John was there, right there to experience firsthand the love of our Savior. Listen to how he describes it in the, the beginning of this book that we're looking at in First uh, John chapter 1. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. He's telling he's an eyewitness to these events, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. He said that life appeared. We've seen it. We testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also 
may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, when John tells us about the love that God sent to us in the birth of Jesus at Christmas, he really knew what he was talking about. He's telling us, I've heard Jesus personally. I've seen Jesus with my own eyes. My hands have, have touched Him. His hands have touched me. So when I tell you what His love is like, you can believe me because I've experienced it firsthand. And it's like nothing else you've ever known. Because for us, sometimes the love of God can be difficult to get a handle on, can it? That kind of infinite, selfless love is really difficult for us to comprehend because we don't love like that, do we? We don't love like that. In our sinful flesh, we're apt to be resentful, to hold grudges. We're apt to hurt those closest to us as well as strangers because regardless of how good we present ourselves today, we are all still sinful men and women. Right? Showing love to people that we don't know, or worse yet, don't like, is really tough. But John is telling us God's love is different, and that the story of Christmas is one of conscious, dedicated, sacrificial, selfless love in Christ. Love enough to offer himself for willful sinners like us. That's the story, that's the impact of Christmas. That's God's gift of love to us this Advent, His active love. A love of God in His determination, His desire, His intentionality in sending us Jesus to buy us back from the penalty of sin. Now, unfortunately, like I, also like I was telling the kids, that aspect of God's love is easily lost, especially in all the noise of the holiday season, right? Because we get busy with all the trappings and the activities of Christmas and we lose sight of the fact that Jesus' birth is given its eternal meaning only in his death on the cross. And we talked about that in Sunday school this morning, how Christ's glory is the glory of humility and suffering. Because it can all get so easily lost as we run from shopping to parties to work and family get-togethers. So at a time like this, probably more than ever, we need to make some quiet time with our God and His Word, right? To get into the Bible, to get into this book and just clear away the clutter of Christmas and take a good look again at the love that came down from heaven to us on that night so long ago in a stable in Bethlehem. And think about it like this. Remember, Jesus had always lived in a perfect environment, encircled by perfect love, Perfect purity. He'd always lived in total freedom with no restrictions or restraints. He'd always been all powerful from eternity past, and now he limited himself to the body of a vulnerable infant boy born in a dirty barn. And he wrapped himself in human flesh so that he could live and die to take our punishment and our judgment. And he went through all of that just because he loves you and me. Just because he loves us. Here's how the Bible describes it in Philippians chapter 2. It says, you, meaning you and I, must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. 
See, he's telling us our Lord Jesus relinquished his dignity, but not his deity. He, he swaddled his glory, hiding it in his humanity. He surrendered his riches and was born in a stable. He, he restrained his awesome power and became fully human and humbled himself even to the point of dying that horrendous death. Now just think about that. Jesus, because of his great love for us, put his glory on hold so that he could enter our world with all of God's limitless power and love compressed into the form of one of us. And when that first cry was heard in the stable in Bethlehem and he came into the care of Mary and Joseph as a wrinkled, blood-covered baby, the universe reached its turning point. The universe reached its turning point because for the first time ever, God the Creator, who before had only been heard by His people, could now be seen and touched because all that He was as God now occupied human flesh, approachable human flesh, available human flesh, vulnerable human flesh. And on that night in the stable, Mary and Joseph were filled with love for this baby, as any new parents are. But they could hardly imagine how much that little boy loved them. And his love for them would reveal itself most dramatically when, as a grown man, he allowed himself to be brutally nailed to the cross of Calvary. Listen again to how the Apostle John described it for us this morning. Remember, we read, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And he said, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You see, there's an amazing truth here that God initiated the relationship with us. And that's the exact opposite of what religion teaches. Religion starts with the assumption that we must initiate the relationship with God and then do things to earn God's favor. Right? It says, I'm the one that's in control. I want to choose to be the one to come to God because the human ego seeks some reason, some merit to commend ourselves to him. But the exact opposite is true because, brothers and sisters, you and I who are in Christ are here by grace. We're not any smarter. We're not any more holy. We're not any more special than anyone else. But rather, the Bible says we were spiritually reborn, not as a result of anything in the realm of nature or even through our own personal desire, but solely on account of God's sovereign prerogative. You see, God loves you, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. But even more wonderful, God loves you, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. You can't persuade God to love you more because his love is absolute. And although God hates sin, his love for us as sinners is so absolute that Paul said in Romans 5.8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Read that with me. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, for me, while we were still sinners. That's pretty amazing love, right? But you already know that because our text this morning that we read from John 1 says that God is love. Love is the very essence of God. It's not just that God feels love. Or does loving things, although he certainly does. It is that the very nature of God is love. Because love doesn't exist apart from him. And it's hard to imagine love like that, isn't it? And the Apostle Paul prayed that his readers would just begin to get their, their minds and their arms around that type of love when he wrote 
in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, when you finally understand this, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And then he prays for his readers. He says, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, and then you will be made complete with all the fullness of love and power that comes from God. Because, brothers and sisters, Jesus did more than die for us. John says, God sent his son so that we could live. God sent his one and only son into the world that you and I might live through him. And as Jesus rose from the dead and he offers us not only the forgiveness of our sins, but he offers that eternal life. This is one that you're all going to know, but I want you to read this with me too from John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, this is so much more than just that little heartwarming manger story that we hear at Christmas. John reminds us, the baby Jesus that Mary wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in that manger on that first Christmas came down with the express purpose of sharing God's love with us. And so by extension, we should love one another. But a Lutheran scholar put it like this. He, he says, as long as we talk of God's love and think only of the candy of our wishes, we have never yet known that love. Because the victory of God's love is on Calvary. The triumph of his love is in Christ's open tomb, and the glory of his love is in all those who now live through Christ. He says to know God and to prize the sacrifice that his love made is to share its power and to serve its kingdom. And he finishes by saying the greatest thing in the world is not anything in the world at all, but rather it is the heavenly love of God in Christ Jesus, his son, at Christmas. You see, it's not the the lights or the tinsel or the decorations. It's not even the acts of charity that this time of year prompts us to do. So, I mean, right, even the, the unbelieving world around us puts an emphasis on giving and, and sharing and helping others in the days leading up to Christmas. Right, we usually do a little bit more of it ourselves, right? Now, hopefully our reason for doing it and for showing love to others is motivated by a heart of love and in appreciation for the love that God has shown to us. But if all that we're doing for our fellow man is giving gifts or food or a friendly visit or just volunteering our time, then we aren't really showing them the fullest or the truest kind of love. In fact, another theologian said it is the height of lovelessness. It's the height of lovelessness to let men's souls go on to destruction while we provide a thousand charities for their bodies. Think about that for a minute. It is the height of lovelessness to let men's souls go on to destruction while we provide a thousand charities for their bodies. Right? If we just share food and money and clothing and time, but don't share the true meaning of the Christmas story with others, we aren't really loving them. If we help the less fortunate or when we take an opportunity to do good to others, but don't share the love of Christ, we're not loving our neighbor with the love that loved us enough to give up everything even his life to save us. That's why John said, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. And he's saying, 
You see, the natural response to such a great saving gift of God in Christ is to share and show that love with others. But, you know, if you notice this reading, it's a bit surprising in that last verse because you might have expected him to say, Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love him. Right? Since God loved us so much, we should love him. But instead, he tells us we ought to love each other. We ought to love each other. The late R.C. Sproul uh, that just passed away earlier this week into glory said, The essence of the Christian gospel is God's grace. So the essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. The essence of the gospel is God's grace. So the essence of our ethic or how we live out our lives is gratitude. Gratitude in the way that we love God and each other. And the best way to express that love, the way that God wants us to express it the most, is to show love for our neighbor, not just fellow believers, but to all those whom God places in our path. People who so desperately, desperately this time of year need to hear the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ. You know, we started out this service today singing, I think it was three verses from the familiar carol Hark the Herald Angels Sing. What you may not know, because it's not in our hymnal, is there's a fourth verse. And I don't know that I've ever heard it sung here. We did sing it once at the nursing home. Uh, but it's a great summary of kind of this whole message of Christmas. And it, it picks up from the line, Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now efface. Stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us all in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And that really sums it up, doesn't it? The true message of Christmas is not in the presence we give one another, but in our presentation of the gospel to a needy world. Sharing the true meaning of the gift that God gave us in his son, Jesus Christ. God's great gift to us in the simple and humble wrappings of a dirty manger in a little-known town called Bethlehem. God's greatest gift of love to you and me at Christmas and always. Amen. Can you pray with me? God of love, you are truly our heart's desire, Father. We praise you. We exalt you this day for your great gift of love in Jesus Christ. And in this time of preparing for the celebration of Christmas, we ask you, Lord, to help us to keep our focus on you and your indescribable gift. Because while we're caught up in all the busyness of the season, Lord, we just need you to help us keep Jesus as the center of all we do. And help us, Father, this week to, uh, to carve out time to reflect on your loving, world-changing, life-giving power through Christ our Lord. Amen.